You're listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Man, do we have a jam-packed show for you straight ahead. We're going to look into a bunch of different things. We're going to talk about this housing announcement. What does that mean? We're going to talk with John Tory from Vancouver. That is coming up. We're going to try and figure out what's going on with the stress test, the mortgage stress test, and whether or not the liberals, the federal liberals, are thinking of taking that out and what that might do. And then at the last part of our program, Travis Danraj is going to be here to talk about Ontario News Now. Do you know what that is, Ontario News Now? That's the propaganda arm of the Ford government recently in New York City. We're going to talk about that issue. Make sure you stay tuned for that. But I want to begin with something I think that probably is weighing on all of your minds, and that is when do you change your tires? You're probably asking yourself, what if I haven't already done this, when am I going to get into the shop to get those uh, those winter tires off? Let me just tell you, uh, have fear. Fear. Because I just did this this morning, and, you know, you figure, like, 100 bucks, 150 tops. And then it's like, ah, you need new brakes and new tires, and $2,500 later. Okay, so that's my day, and uh, that's the beginning of the day. And then you think to yourself, oh, my goodness, how am I going to possibly make my mortgage payment? How and what happens if the variable rate goes up? These are all things that are probably you would be running through your mind. You just started off thinking, I should probably get my tires changed, and now you are thinking very deeply about housing. See, that's how it, see how we transition into that. And today, the Ford government made a sweeping announcement that is very technical and very complicated. But I think. You know, of all the things we talk about, this is going to be something that will have a real impact on so many lives. Here is the Minister of Municipal Affairs, Steve Clark, talking about the problem of housing supply in this province and what the government says it will do beginning today. This bill is, is I think, a great bill and signals to people that had no hope that they've got a government that wants to create opportunities to create more housing, more types at a price people can afford. That is the headline. What is really happening here is that the government is kind of turning back the clock. It's reverting back to the old Ontario Municipal Board Rules, the OMB. Keep that in mind, OMB, uh, under the newer LPAT. This is ridiculous. This is where you just you lose people right away. And this is, it gets so technical. But basically what the liberals did is they said, ah, the OMB, that's not working out so much. We're going to replace it with this thing called the LPAT. Now this government comes in and says, nah, we're going to give the LPAT the old OMB powers. Are you... Are you following me still? Now, the proposed rule changes are supposed to make it faster and cheaper for developers to bring homes to the market. And there's a couple of things I want to point out here, especially the fact that the government says it's going to be making it much easier to create secondary suites. Are you thinking about putting a basement in your home, a basement suite rather? Do you think to yourself, well, that would defray some costs? Or if you're thinking about buying a home and it's just absolutely out of your reach, but you think, you know what, if I can get a put, put a second suite in there in the basement, you know, I can defray the cost, I can afford this. So the Ontario Building Code is going to be revised in a number of different ways. And one of the other ones I think a lot of people are going to like is it's going to eliminate the requirement that the Liberals put in to for builders to install electrical vehicle charging stations in new homes. That had to be done under the previous Liberal government, when they brought in their changes, you had to put in the charging station. I want to bring in now 
A journalist that I think probably understands this file as well as anyone, and he is a wonk and a geek and a dork, and he works for TVO. And all of those things combined somehow makes him an expert on housing, and I'm really pleased to have him on the show. John Michael McGrath from TVO. Hey, John. Hi, Alan. How's about that that wind-up? Uh, you know, I've been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you would embrace geek and wonk. That's what you are. I'm not. I don't mean that. In a, you know. The, you know the dorks will inherit the earth. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for my check. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Give me the headlines here. What's? Why should I care about what Steve Clark said today? Well, the government is really doing. Uh, two things, or they're doing a bunch of things, but they fall into two categories. One is they want to get a lot more homes built, and the other is that they want to get uh, different types of homes built. And, you know, there's a huge list uh, of stuff that they're doing. Clark is going to be introducing a bill at the legislature later today, and it's apparently going to be just enormous. Um, But they're, they're all going to fall into one of those two categories. Uh, one is, you know, you already mentioned the changes to the uh, rules for the LPAT. Uh, as you say, it's going to be much more like the older rules for the OMB, where, you know, developers, if they don't like a decision that a city council makes about how tall a building can be, uh, developers will be able to go to the OMB, or sorry, the LPAT, and say, hey, <laughs> we think this decision stinks, <laughs> and, uh, and we want you to reverse it. Uh, under the rules the Liberals had brought in, the uh, okay. LPAT couldn't just reverse the decision. JWM, you're losing me here. Come on. Uh, <laughs> give me something that, that people care about. I mean, I understand development issues and how tall buildings are, but how, how do I afford a home? How are they actually going to get at that? Right. And so this is where the, the, the second uh, bucket comes in of uh, different types of homes that they want to get built. And so... Um, you know, one thing that they are doing is that they want to make it uh, cheaper in the uh, uh, application process to get rental housing built. We really have not built a lot of rental housing in Toronto uh, in, in almost 30 years. And, uh, you know, uh, tons of condo towers going up. Um, but if you're just looking for a rental apartment, you, it, it's been tough going. Um, you already mentioned uh, secondary suites. Uh, one of the things that is interesting there is it's not just basement apartments. They uh, also want to make it clear that if you've got uh, a garage and you want to uh, put an apartment over that, uh, they, they want to make the, the rules uh, easier to do that. So you can put a sweet Cato Kalen kind of guest house in the back. <laughs> I think you might be dating uh, both of us with that reference, but... Uh, hey, listen, exactly. short pants. It's not like you don't know about OJ. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, uh, hang on. Listen, I want to play this because you supposedly understand this. I'm going to play this from the minister. Sure. I'm not sure it's in English, but you tell me what this means. The okay. issues regarding let's make a deal planning, yes, uh, we want to set that aside. We'll continue to consult as we work towards... Um, the specifics uh, of the Community Benefits Authority, and again, continue to consult with our municipal partners. What is that? Okay, so what the minister is referring to there is uh, a, a section of uh, the, the planning act. It's called Section 37. If you ever go to a, a town meeting about uh, a, you know a new development, you'll hear somebody talk about Section 37. Miami. That's like a Saturday night for you. Eh? It's like date night for you, planning meeting? <laughs> It's really exciting stuff for me. Um, But uh, Section 37 money is just a a fee that the developer pays to uh, offset the the impacts that they're having on the community. Oh, this is about development fees. Yeah. Uh, So big, big, tall building. 
they already have to pay for things like parks and uh, transit and sewers. The Section 37 money is uh, different from that. And you heard the minister refer to let's make a deal planning. That's because Section 37 isn't like set out in law how much money a developer has to pay. It's always uh, a one-on-one negotiation. And so a lot of developers find that really cumbersome and frustrating and you know it it takes forever and they never know how much they're going to uh, how much they're going to pay and it sounds like and you know we haven't seen a bill yet but it sounds like the uh government is basically getting rid of that entirely and they're folding a whole bunch of things together uh into w- what's going to be a single charge John Michael McGrath is a reporter for TVO. He's got a giant brain and a mind that just contains so much information, which, yeah, actually, did you put that on your application to Steve Pakin to get that job? Did you just say, I have a huge brain just like you, Steve? Uh, well, I haven't written as many books as he has. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks, John. Really appreciate you being on. I really quickly want to pivot one to one thing, and that is John Tory agrees with me. I said this on Monday on this program. I said, do you feel like an idiot about the way that the provincial government speaks to you? Well, I want to play for you very quickly. This is John Tory yesterday essentially saying somewhat less eloquently exactly what I was saying. If it looks like a cutback, if it walks like a cutback, if it quacks like a cutback, then it's a cutback. And and I guess I would have more respect if they just stood up and said, you know what? It's a cutback. Yeah. Just tell us the truth. John Tory on the line from Vancouver after the break. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the program and the ongoing spat between the province and the city of Toronto shows no sign of abating. Later today, the provincial government will table its transportation bill aimed at uploading subways to the provincial government. Part of the problem is that no one knows what's in the bill, including the mayor of Toronto, by and large. The mayor is in Vancouver for a summit on housing, and join me on the line. Pleasure, Alan. The provincial government today is going to table legislation about uploading uh, TTC and other subways and transit. What do you know about what's in that bill, Mayor? Not much, uh, but it's not a surprise because they've indicated during the election campaign, they've indicated uh, to us uh, in discussions and in their budget they were going to introduce a bill. In this case, it's uploading future transit plan, uh, transit lines. So it's not applying to the current subway because that's under discussion as to what will happen uh, there. And uh, so we'll see what the legislation says. My guess is it's kind of going to be a framework and most of the details will be sorted out by regulation, which I don't like because I think it means that things happen in secret cabinet meetings, which is never good for transparency, but, um, you know, we'll wait and see. The the Minister of Transportation and the Premier have kind of made a point of saying that City Council has been inept on the transit file, that squabbling has led to absolute stagnation, and therefore the province needs to step in. Do you agree with that sentiment? I do and I don't. I mean, I think the city uh, and the province and the federal government over the years 
have not done a good job at uh, making sure the transit got built uh, that the city needed as it grew so uh, rapidly. Uh, but I think we were really on on the on the path, and we are on the path of having a transit plan, which was approved uh, two or three years ago by the city council. Uh, and then we've made huge progress. That it's not uh, as easily seen by the eye, but you know the relief line, uh, as we were going to do it, and the Scarborough subway were both ready to go to construction procurement. In other words, picking the people who are going to build it and start building it at the end of this year. And so now um, the, the thing that I've been most concerned about is, is the intervention of the provincial government going to delay that as they change it to the Ontario line, as they change the Scarborough subway to three stops? Because that's been the real problem over time without laying blame on any particular government, is that governments at all levels have come and gone, and everyone feels the need to change the transit plan. And so when you change it, uh, all the work you've done on design and so forth, it doesn't go out the window necessarily, but it certainly has to be changed. So that's my greatest fear at this stage is delay, and I'm just not into the blame assessment game because I don't think it achieves anything. Well, your counterparts at the provincial level seem to have absolutely uh, no qualms on the blame game. Uh, yesterday in the House, the Premier said that the current mayor has been un- unable to find a penny of efficiencies. Your reaction to that? Well... You know, I actually saw him in the airport yesterday just by chance, and I just said to him, you know, I'm just not going to get involved in any of that. I mean, the very fact that I've been able to run a city government that could keep its tax increases to the rate of inflation for five years now, and at the same time expand transit and housing, and and I could go through just the best example I could name right now out of my head, is we took uh, about 20 real estate departments across the city and combined them into one and have saved uh, money and have uh, produced something much more efficient, but I could go on. There's no way you could run a government with a tax increase at the rate of inflation and continue to expand services if you hadn't achieved efficiencies along the way. But the bottom line is this. I mean, he is saying that within the context of trying to justify cutbacks in public health, Um, and I just sort of say, look, regardless of what efficiencies he or me or anybody else has achieved, it's wrong to cut back on public health, and it's wrong to do it retroactively, and it's wrong to do it without consultation after the cities across the province. And by the way, don't take my objection to that by itself. Ask the other 27 mayors or whatever the number was the other day who spoke up and said this is wrong. It was done without consultation. So I just, I, I just think these debates, people, it drives them crazy to see him up in the legislature or anybody else from that government uh, sort of criticizing me personally as opposed to saying, let's sit down and work this out, knowing everybody's got their financial challenges and knowing we have to carry on with public health because it's something that's important to the health and well-being and prosperity of the city. On public health, Mayor, uh, your office has their set of numbers, the province has their set of numbers. Both representatives have called me and tried to explain to me how they arrived at those numbers. It's very complicated and very difficult for the public to understand. I guess my question is, why should the public believe your numbers instead of theirs? Well, um, I, I'm not sure I can answer that question. Maybe just to say, to look at basic credibility and sort of who do they think has uh, got an agenda on this kind of thing, other than to try to preserve programs that are good. Because, I mean, to me, that, that, that's the real issue, Alan. The real issue is not whose numbers are right or wrong. Let's say for a moment that I said, okay, let's accept the province's numbers. It still results in a multi, multi-million dollar cutback in support for public health. So it means that children's dental inspections, uh, you know, well baby checks that are uh, performed on new babies, student nutrition programs, long-term care home inspections, restaurant inspections will be adversely affected, in some cases cut back, because of money they're not sending anymore, meaning the province of Ontario. So let's say if I accepted their numbers, 
that still doesn't deal with the question, why did they cut back in this very important area? Why did they do it retroactively? Why did they punish Toronto, by the way, more than any other city? We're getting a worse deal than any other city or town in the province. And those are questions they think by having an argument about the numbers, it's going to sort of deflect those questions. I'm not willing to see those questions deflected, even if I did accept their numbers, which I don't. But I, I think the public's eyes is glazed over, and sometimes you think it's a deliberate strategy. Have a fight about the calculation of the number as opposed to the principle of whether you think public health, and by the way, added to that, they've cut back on child care, they've cut back on tourism funding, they've cut back on all these things, pushing it all down to the municipalities, who will then have a choice. You know, they're very proud of saying they didn't raise taxes in their budget. Well, what they're doing by jamming all this stuff down, these cutbacks onto the municipalities, they're saying either you have to raise taxes on the very same taxpayers, or you have to cut services. And most of those services being mandated by them. In other words, it's their laws that require us to perform those services. So I'm less interested in the debate about the numbers as I am in the principle of saying, should we be cutting back on public health, to which I would answer a resounding no. Uh, Mayor, you mentioned Toronto being singled out. In the legislature, the leader of the opposition, Andrea Horvath, repeatedly accuses the premier of secretly rather having been mayor of this city, and that is why he takes such uh, attention and pays such attention to your government and what you do. Do you agree with Andrea Horvath? Well, I can't look inside the mind of the premier. I don't know. And I yesterday when I was asked about the relationship with him. I just said it's uneven. There are days when we seem like we can cooperate together and other days where it seems more difficult. I would only say this. I would like to think, and and I mean, I think most people who know me, journalists or other politicians or business people, I mean, I've had a career that's spanned a number of different areas. They know I'm not difficult to get along with. They know I strongly believe in collaboration. And I will say this to you. I believe the strength of Toronto right now is fundamental to the strength of Ontario in terms of uh, attraction of jobs and uh, getting people on their feet and trying to make sure we get the best out of all the people who live here, some of whom are struggling, addressing questions of affordability. And we will address those a lot better if we work together than if uh, somebody is trying to uh, promote an agenda at somebody else's expense. I'm just not interested in that. I'm not interested in the political games. I just want to get transit built. I just want to address uh, affordable housing, which is why I'm in Vancouver, uh, to address uh, how we can get more rental housing built faster. I just want to address the issues of community safety, keep taxes low. That's what I'm there to do. That's what the people sent me there to do. So this kind of games playing that people talk about, I can't tell you whether it's true or not, but I can just tell you if it was true, I would just say what a waste of time when it comes to advancing the public interest, which is what I think I'm there to do, especially at this stage of my own career where I don't have any you know, desire to be anywhere else. I just want to be a good mayor and get stuff done for people. John Tory, Mayor of Toronto, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Alan. Always good to talk to you. That is the Mayor of Toronto. Pardon me, John Tory, on the line from Vancouver, and he is attending at this very moment. He is at a conference at Simon Fraser University and uh, talking about affordable housing. And housing is something that we are really concentrating on this hour when we come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about housing. We're going to review a couple more of the details of that housing announcement. And it is a wide-ranging announcement. And like I say, when you start hearing the words and you start, you know, LPATs and all the rest of that, your eyes can glaze over, folks. I understand this. But the reality is, is that affordability is a huge issue in whether or not you can afford your home or you have kids and you're wondering, can they ever afford a home on their own? Or you're thinking, I got to move to 
Ajax, which is a lovely place, but it's not, I mean, I don't want to have to sit in my car because there's no transit. And all of those issues, I mean, those are so important and so vital. And this is what kind of gets me when people say, uh, you know, you and this, your obsession with provincial politics, it's boring, it's dull. Well, I disagree, and I disagree for this main reason, is that the provincial government is responsible for the things that matter the most to us. Our health, our welfare, our roads. Sure, you know, the municipal government takes away our garbage. And yeah, I believe that that's important, too. Please take my garbage. But it's these big issues about can you even afford a house? Can you afford to live in a city where you need to work? Those are issues that we have to look at. When we come back, a little bit more on that. And also, the mortgage stress test. Does that impact you? There's a big push on to have the federal liberals take that mortgage stress test away so that more people at the bottom end can get in to the market, which is already outpacing anyone's income, most people's income, unless you're a one percenter. But there's a new report that says that may absolutely backfire. Where is the truth in all of this? We're going to find out after the break. You're listening to the Alan Carter Radio Show. This is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I want to be a part of it. New York, New York. Welcome back to the show, and I want to uh, take you inside a controversy that's rocking Queen's Park right now, and it is perhaps a little inside the beltway, but it also has to do with truth, it has to do with attacks on the media, and it also has to do ultimately with your tax dollar and how your tax dollar is spent. What we are talking about is Ontario News Now. Now, you may have heard of this before. It is a online, mostly social media uh, outlet that uh, publishes news about the Ford government. And it is funded by caucus, pardon me, by caucus services. Do not stumble over that word. It's, that is dangerous. It is funded by caucus services. And what caucus services is, is money that is allocated to the various political parties, and it is theirs to spend as they wish. Previously, when the liberals were in power, they spent their money a bunch of different ways. They would spend it on things like spies. That's what they called the operatives. The Basically, all it was was you know, liberals, young liberals, who would go to progressive conservative events and listen in and tape and then try and get information, and then, you know, possibly if there was a stumble or something weird happened, they would have the content themselves then to be able to shape whatever they wanted about it. And you may recall that in the lead-up to the provincial election last year, Doug Ford threw some liberal spies out of his uh, out of one of his rallies and complained loudly that this was being, you know, this was misuse of taxpayer dollar. And I say that for perspective here, because... In opposition, the progressive conservatives called the caucus service money taxpayer money. So I think it's only fair now to call Ontario News Now, which is funded by caucus service money, taxpayer funded. Is that clear? 
So now, what happened over the weekend is Doug Ford went to New York City, a trip to meet with some business uh, and leaders and, you know, sell Ontario is open for business. And Ontario News Now tweeted out, Quote, and I'm reading from a tweet from Ontario News Now, rewarding. That's how Premier Ford describes his trip to the Big Apple. After two days of meeting with business leaders in New York City, New York City, pardon me, the Premier says he's looking forward to announcing more investment into our province. Here's a clip of the actual content that they posted to Twitter and also to Facebook. Premier, what is one word to describe your trip to New York? Well, I'd have to say rewarding. It's, it's rewarding uh, to the people of Ontario uh, that we're here. We're telling every single sector we're open for business, open for jobs. They're excited. That you are listening to content from Ontario News Now, which is the propaganda wing of the Progressive Conservative Party. And as I have explained, it is funded with taxpayer money. There are questions why is it that Ontario News Now was the only media outlet, and I don't use that term correctly, but the only outlet that was traveling with the Premier? Well, there were questions, and there have been questions. How much money did this cost? Why did we send them down? Travis Danraj tweeting the government. Travis Danraj, of course, the Queen's Park Bureau Chief. He's on the line. I'll join, he'll join me in just a moment. But he, he tweeted out, the government is still refusing to answer simple questions about the Premier's trip to New York City. Why was it appropriate for Ontario News Now to go? How much did the trip cost taxpayers? How many government staff went? And when a number of journalists tweeted this sort of thing, the Premier's office Ivana Yelik uh, put this, and I believe I got that name right. Travis, you're with me. Help me out on this. Did I get that right? Ivana Yelich. Thank you. Pardon me. This is the quote. Despite putting out numerous advisories and news releases on Premier Ford's meeting with some of the biggest companies in America, I received one media request for information regarding his trip, and they wonder why Ontario News Now exists. That's from the Premier's office. Rob Benzie from the Toronto Star tweeted out in response to that, one, the media were given no notice about the Premier's trip until the night before he and the Treasurer jetted to New York. Two, the Star asked about his trade mission yesterday and today. And three, Ontario News Now does video press releases, not journalism. Travis... Bring me up to date. Where are we on this story right now? Well, I mean, we're where we were yesterday on this story. We're, we're looking for answers on it. The government keeps ducking. Uh, and we asked the finance minister yesterday, point blank, why is there so much secrecy around this trip? Obviously, the media will be able to get the information through freedom of information requests at some point. So why don't you just offer it up now? But certainly they weren't answering any of those questions that I asked um, from a couple of days ago. And I just put, pulled up an email from Ivana Yelich um, that I, I sent to her um, when this initial news of the, the, the premier being in New York City, which kind of came as a surprise to all of us, came about. And I said, how many government staff are on this trip? Um, she replied basically saying that every member of the government delegation plays an important role, and she's not going to comment on specifics regarding the premier staffing arrangements. Well, taxpayers pay for all of those individuals to be down there, including Lindsay Vanstone and the crew from Ontario News Now. Um, and let's be clear, as you have stated before, it is not news. It's a government newsletter, and that's what they have really framed it as. But it, it seems as though um, they, they don't want to answer questions on this, and they are in attack mode 
when it comes to any journalists who ask them questions related to this uh, on Twitter. Yeah, the, the premier has said, well, this is this is twisting. And, and the premier has said in the past that, that Ontario News Now exists because of a left-wing bias by the media and that the cheese has slipped off the cracker. You know, he may like you personally, Travis, but, you know, you're nothing but cold camembert and broken crackers. But, I mean, this really goes, though, to uh, the heart of how much information we should know about the the premier schedule. Um, You know, previously, previous governments, uh, the Liberal government, they put out kind of a daily schedule for the premier every day. We know that tomorrow, for example, the premier is going to be in Muskoka touring the flooding. We know that because a mayor in that region put out information saying that the premier is going to be there. We have no word from the premier's office that this is happening to this very moment. Uh, And that there are, there's so many examples of that where the the mainstream media (laughs) does not know about something. And then all of a sudden we see a clip on Ontario news. Now their, their Twitter feed and we find out, Oh, that's where the premier was today. And and the media weren't notified. of it. I think everybody will make the same comparison right there. That seems very Trumpish in terms of, you know, the, the American press always complaining that Trump's, uh, the Trump's itinerary is not published, and, and I guess I think a lot of people might say, "Who cares? You know what? Like, it's just bring lefty media. Tell me why I should care well, that the premier's not putting on an itinerary." I mean, I mean, because he is answering questions that he wants to answer only when it comes to Ontario News Now. Ontario News Now, we should really remove the news from that because, I mean, they're they're not journalists. Right, they're they're there to present the government's messaging, and and so if you're at an event and you don't have any real journalists there, and you have Ontario News Now there, well, you're only presenting the government's perspective on things. So that's why people be, should be concerned because there aren't real questions being asked at some of these media. L- l- let me little, but let me then pivot to this, and I'll play devil's advocate that the premier does news availabilities. He does answer your questions, and so why should we be concerned? Well, I think it, I think it's just the, the uh, basically, you know, how often he does those media availabilities. He hasn't done a media availability, um, you know. Uh, for, I don't, for not since he's been on my radio show, I don't think. <laughs> for a couple of, well, exactly, right? And yeah, then, and then I don't think he has. On your radio show, he says things that the government then has to clean up. <laughs> Um, it, it is a very strange world, and I, I'm the first to admit that I, you know, I, I just took this position a couple of months ago at Queen's Park, and previously I was a general assignment reporter, but I can't remember a time, and Alan, maybe you can correct me, um, where, where, where this was kind of the relationship with the Premier's office, that you would have direct attacks of journalists publicly on, on Twitter. Um, you know, some of these conversations go on privately behind the scenes if there's, you know, a perspective where the, the government feels as though uh, a, a journalist hasn't gotten the story right, but certainly not on on Twitter in, 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 in public. In, in public, a public shaming. And, and we've seen well, that with Cynthia Mulligan this week over this. I mean, she was the one that initially tweeted out, sort of retweeted Ontario News Now and said, this is your taxpayer money at work. And they went after her. And you've experienced that personally as well. I think I was one of the first ones to really experience that. I mean, I had the executive director of issues management going after me, the director of communications for the government, the, the press secretaries for the government, for, you know, down to, to ministry-level staff. And it seemed as though it was an onslaught from all the communications staff from, from various ministries told to attack 
you know, a, a journalist for their story and, and deem it as fake news. Uh, I, I, I feel as though that is a very slippery slope um, because you, then you get into Trump territory where, um, you know, what, what is journalism and what isn't journalism. And what is truth um, as well. And what is truth. We right? have to, and, uh, Travis, we have to leave it there. I'm out of time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on no the problem. show. No problem, Talk to you soon. Of course, you can uh, see Travis's reporting on Global News beginning at 5.30. That's the uh, program that I am the anchor man of because, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. I'll be back again tomorrow at noon.